morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as the God of all authority and power. We thank you for how those attributes have been displayed in our lives in that we have been partakers in a miracle. We formerly had no use for you, wanted nothing to do with you, hated you, rebelled against you. And yet, this morning, we voluntarily gather together and sing things like we've just sung, that Christ is our treasure, that Jesus is precious to us, that there is nothing like Him. We recognize this morning, Father, that that, that reality, that You have transformed our hearts, that You have saved us from a rebellious disposition to You and brought us to this place where we adore Adore Christ your Son. We've been brought into your family, that you are our Father. That is a, a miracle of your authority and power at work. We praise you for that, Father. We ask that as we open your word this morning and see things that perhaps we are familiar with, that we would be reminded of glorious things that we would see them afresh, that our hearts and affections would be renewed. As a result, Lord, let it be that we would follow you with greater fervency and love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, our text this morning will be verse 21 through verse 39, 21 through 39, but we'll begin this morning just reading verses 35 through 39, so the last little chunk of text. So as you're, as you're finding your place there, let's all stand together and I'll read those few verses beginning in, in Mark 1, verse 35, Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went out through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. You may be seated. I mentioned, mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, that when Jesus fishes, it's very similar to when Mark Trammell fishes. The fish gets caught. Well, Mark protested slightly over that. He He told me that occasionally he doesn't catch a fish. Now, I've never seen that happen, but I'll take his word for it. 
What I do know is that he's better at it than I am. If I go out to the pond out here, I'll just cast and cast and cast. Nothing happens. But he, he'll catch several while he's eating breakfast. That's not a joke. He'll come out here a little early before work and, and toss the lure out there. He'll catch several fish before, before it's even time to begin work. And it leaves me wondering, what is it about his lure that's so much more magnetic to these fish than mine? There's got to be something. It's the same pond, same fish. What is it about him that's so much, much more magnetic to these fish? I can't figure it out. As we're continuing in Mark, we find that Jesus, He's come into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's called His first four disciples. And He's told them, I'm going to make you fishermen of people. I'm going to teach you how to draw souls into the kingdom of God. And, And immediately now, beginning in verse 21, He starts to show them how it's done. Everything that He does in verses 21 through 39 He's going to give them authority to do later on. So in a sense, he's already teaching them to fish. He's showing them how to do the work of the kingdom. And all that we'll see today in this text takes place in one 24-hour period in Capernaum. Jesus only goes to three places in Capernaum. He's in the synagogue. He's in Simon's house. And then he goes to this desolate place to to pray. And... The fish, no matter where he goes, the fish just start jumping into the boat, so to speak. And, and we're intended to, to ask, what is it about Jesus that makes souls so magnetic to him or makes him so magnetic to souls? They're just drawn to him. As we're thinking about application here at the very beginning, we want to be thinking, if we follow him, What is it in our life that will do the same? What is it in our life that will also draw people to Him? He's so magnetic. If we follow Him, what in our life will do the same thing, will draw people to Him? Mark shows us, first of all, what it is that's magnetic about Jesus. First of all, He has magnetic authority. Magnetic authority. Look at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. They, you'll remember, is Jesus, Simon, Andrew, John, and James. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So here we see Jesus' magnetic authority first exhibited in his authoritative teaching. Authoritative teaching. So this is going to be Jesus' custom as he goes from town to town on the synagogue. I'm sorry, on the Sabbath, he'll go to the synagogue and teach. The text doesn't tell us here what Jesus taught, just that he taught. It tells us that he taught with authority, astonishing authority, and that differentiated him from the scribes. The scribes, we know, were what we might call professional teachers. They were the guys who were experts in interpreting the law. They were experts in what other people have written about the law. So whenever you went to the synagogue, they were the experts in the room. They were the ones who knew what the Bible meant. They were the ones that knew all of the, 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 the main theories about what a particular passage should, should, should tell us. Now if we take these verses and verse 27 into account, we, we begin to understand what makes Jesus a bit different. 
In verse 27, we find that Jesus' content is different. Verse 27 tells us this is a new teaching, so His content is authoritative. But verse 22 tells us that what actually differentiated Jesus from the scribes is that He taught as one having authority. Jesus actually has authority. So He does have authoritative content, but what's more important in this text is that Jesus is an authoritative teacher. Unlike the scribes, He has authority in His person. And you can just sense, even beginning in these first couple of verses, the rapt attention that Jesus draws from people. They're mesmerized by Him. They're mesmerized here just by the things that He's saying, just by His presence, when something rather unexpected takes place. Look with me beginning at verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So let's pause there for just a moment. You may have noticed as we've, as we've been in Mark for a few weeks now, Mark likes the word immediately. He uses it all the time. Now, Mark does not always mean by the word immediately what we would mean by it. That is, he's not always saying, and right then something happened. But a lot of the times, he's just using the word immediately as something to move the story forward. He's introducing a new development in the story. And so a lot of the time, immediately is something like what we would say. We would use the word then. Then this happened. Then that happened. But at sometimes, sometimes he does mean by immediately what we would mean. He does mean, and right away this happened. Well, how do we know the difference? As usual, when we're studying the Bible, the context is going to determine for us what any particular word means. Likely here, not literally mean immediately, right away. There is there's this man with an unclean spirit. Why would we say that? Because Jesus has had time to demonstrate his authoritative teaching before this man with an unclean spirit is, is manifested there. And likely, it was Jesus' authoritative, spirit, uh, authoritative teaching that drew this demon out. So we have demonstrated here not only Jesus' authoritative teaching, but now we're seeing that he has authority over demons. He's got authority over demons. Continuing in verse 23. And he cried out. This is the man with the the unclean spirit. He cried out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And remember, as as we're working our way through Mark, we want to do so with, with three main questions in mind. First of all, who is Jesus? Second, why did he come? And third, what does it mean to follow him? And this demon, this unclean spirit, does us a bit of a favor here by answering the first two for us. He says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. So who is Jesus? He's the Holy One of God. He's the Messiah. This this demon knows that. Secondly, why did Jesus come? Demon knows to destroy the one who has the power of death, even the devil. At this point in the narrative, Jesus isn't keen on giving all of that away. So he ignores the questions of of the demon and rebukes this unclean spirit. Now, If we were to turn in our Bibles over to the book of Jude, we would find that in Jude 9, we're taught that that rebuking the evil one is the exclusive domain 
of the Lord. Michael, the archangel, who is a peer of the devil. He's a peer of the devil. Some people would conceive of the devil as a peer of God. Not so. God is above all. Michael, the archangel, is a peer of the devil. And Jude 9 tells us, not even Michael rebukes demons. But rather, Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. So here Jesus shows his unique authority in that he himself rebukes this demon. And he silences the demon, commands the demon to come out. Now the word the, or the phrase, be silent, is a passive imperative. It's a passive imperative. And there's not a whole lot of those in the New Testament. But if we were to translate it more literally, it would be be silenced. Be silenced. If we were to, to be a little more straightforward with it, what, what Jesus is saying is, I'm silencing you. I'm silencing you. Now we might think, well, looks like this unclean spirit disobeyed because he made a lot of racket as he's coming out of this guy. But if we're taking the whole context into account, we would we, we recognize that, that Jesus was silencing the demons specifically regarding blabbing about Jesus' identity. Because verse 34 is clear that that's what Jesus is doing when he, when he, when he quiets these demons. He's saying, you, you, you can't tell anybody who I am. He wasn't saying, don't make a peep of any kind. So this, this demon, he obeyed Jesus. He did exactly what he said, and the demon came out. Now, we've, we may have read so many of these things in the Bible over the years. Jesus casts out the demons. Jesus casts out the demon. He does it again and again and again. We become dull to these things, but put yourself in the shoes of these people, the sandals of these people more, more likely, the people in this synagogue. What they've just witnessed is a supernatural being obeying a man. This doesn't happen. This is unbelievable authority that they're witnessing. And so, verse 27, and they were all amazed. So they even questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. And so they have connected Jesus' authoritative teaching with what He did to this demon. Authoritative teaching, He commands even the demons and they obey Him. And and so now we're coming back around to what Mark actually is wanting to communicate to us. Mark isn't just handing us interesting information here that, that like among Jesus' superpowers is that He can tell demons what to do. The point is, Mark, Mark is communicating to us, Jesus has ultimate authority over you. He has authority over you. What is this? He teaches with authority. He commands even the demons, and they obey Him. Demons obey this man without a word. Implied is, how much more should we, mortal people? Verse 28, and at once His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. They are are mesmerized and drawn in by His authority. Now, how drawn in, we'll see as the the narrative progresses, His fame being spread is, is going to draw a crazy response here very shortly. As we think about this thing of authority and what the Bible has to say about it broadly, we, we need to note that rejection of authority 
is precisely the condition that Jesus came to save us from. If we go back to to Genesis chapter 3, we find that Adam and Eve were the first humans to have an authority problem. They were the first humans, and they were the first humans with an authority problem. Under the influence of the serpent who suggested that joy would come from being freed from God's restrictive authority, well, they, they rebelled against God. And that one act of rebellion then led to countless acts of rebellion as Adam's rebellious heart was passed on to all of us so that we all have that same heart inside of us and we all naturally reject God's authority. The Bible teaches there's a penalty for that. We see it. We see it there in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they are removed from God's presence. That rebellion separates us from God. In this life, it means that we're, we're spiritually dead. We can't know God the way that we were designed to know Him. And then when we die, that separation takes the form of an eternity in hell under His rightful and just wrath. Horrible thing being separated from God. Well, Jesus has now come in the Gospel of Mark to redeem those enslaved to rebellion. And we'll we'll find as we move along that Jesus will do that by paying for their rebellion. He'll pay for their rebellion by dying on the cross in their place. Three days later, He'll be raised from the dead, proving that His payment for their rebellion was sufficient to ransom them from the penalty of their sin. Now, part of Jesus proclaiming the kingdom is His call to repent of that rebellion and join His kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. We, we heard Jesus preaching this already in, in Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe the good news. One fifteen. Repent of your rebellion. Embrace His loving, rightful authority. All who repent and believe are transferred then into His kingdom. And and we see here that rather than being repulsed by Jesus' authority, we see people are actually drawn in by it. They they find that they're benefited by His authority. And that's going to be even more clear as the passage progresses. Jesus uses His authority to free people. And here He's freeing them from demons. Later on in the narrative, we'll find Jesus uses His authority to, to free people from the condemnation of sin. His authority works good for those who come to Him. So what is it, again, what is it that, 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 that causes Jesus to be so magnetic to the souls around Him? His authority of all things. His authority. So if we follow Jesus, what will it be in our lives that draw people to Him? What will make us magnetic for the kingdom? Well, our lives will attract others to the kingdom to the extent that His authority reigns over us, and is attractive to us. In other words, we will attract souls to the kingdom to the extent that people see us submitting to that authority of Christ and loving it. We've, we've, talked, we've talked about this many times. We verbally proclaim the gospel. We're, we're called to do that. We're also always proclaiming some kind of gospel with our lives. And we need to be asking ourselves all the time, what kind of gospel am I proclaiming with my life? I may be very faithful with my words, 
What is my life saying behind those words? So with my life, am I accurately conveying the gospel? Am I conveying with my life that Jesus is a master to be obeyed? Am I conveying to people that His yoke is easy and His burden is light and His his commandments are not burdensome? Am I I communicating with my life that, that His authority is and has been and will be a glorious blessing to me. Now, I can be saying all of those things with my mouth, but what is, what is my life saying? As, as, I am, as I'm verbally calling other people to submit to Christ, to give their lives to Christ, do they then see me ignoring Him in particular areas of my life? Or is the totality of my life, my words and my actions, is the totality of my life a testimony that says, oh, what a sweet thing it is to call Jesus Master. Jesus' authority was magnetic in Galilee. Is His authority obvious and magnetic in us? Good question for us to consider. Is His authority obvious and magnetic in us? Jesus not only has magnetic authority, but as as we continue on, we see that He has magnetic power. Magnetic power. People are drawn by His power. Look at verse 29. And immediately He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Now, I, I, I know what some of you are, are thinking. What kind of a moron is Simon? And his mother-in-law is ill with a fever. With any luck, it's terminal. You keep Jesus away from the house. Distract Jesus. But it appears that, that like, like me, Peter loves his mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law is not even in this service. She was in the last service. And I really love my mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law is, is like, like Peter's mother-in-law. She's healed of, an, healed of an illness, and immediately she gets up and starts serving people. But what, what does this story do in, in the narrative? Jesus healing this one person. It adds to the story about Jesus. It's being spread everywhere. This isn't just a Bible teacher. And he's not just a Bible teacher who casts out demons. But he has power over illness. He has power over illness. Imagine how that would have fueled the speculations and hopes of the people hearing about him. All of these people have have felt these numerous acute needs over the course of however long, weeks, months, years, being oppressed by the evil one, being oppressed by illnesses. And now they're, they're hearing things on this particular Sabbath day. Hey, did, did you hear about what happened in the synagogue this morning? You know that guy who's acting funny all the time? Turns out he's not just weird, he's, he's possessed by an unclean spirit. Well, this teacher from out of town, he comes in, he told the, the unclean spirit to leave, and he did. You're kidding me. My sister has an unclean spirit wonder if he would help her. And now Jesus has, has healed this, this woman. 
And so that, that story is, is added on. Hey, you know Simon the fisherman? Simon, whose mother-in-law has been, has been sick all, all this time? She's not sick anymore. The, the, this guy came along and, and healed her. Is, is the same guy that cast out the, the unclean spirit earlier today in the synagogue? Who else is it going to be? It's got to be the same guy. Well, my dad is sick. I wonder if he would help him. That kind of word spreads fast. Here, here is a man who can help us. Here is a man who can meet our needs. Power alone is magnetic, if, if, if only for the spectacle. You know, it's not every day that you see a demon obey a person, obey a man. But more significantly, people with these particular needs or people with loved ones who have these particular needs, they had to wonder when they hear this news, if He can help us, well, maybe He will. Maybe He will. He helped them. Maybe He'll help us. And so, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to Him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, that's the door of Simon's house, okay? He's still at Simon's house. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, when Mark writes here that he healed many and he cast out many demons, he doesn't mean many as opposed to all, as if he left some people out. But what he means is is many as opposed to just the ones earlier in the day. It wasn't just that he cast out the one demon that day. He didn't just heal the one woman at Peter's house, but rather he healed and cast out the many that day. In other words, no one who came left disappointed. That's great news given what these people came hoping for. Not only is he able, he's willing. And so imagine that scene. Imagine that scene. Put yourself in that scene, you or a loved one, with, with this acute need that you've had. You, you come to Simon's house just hoping that this, that this guy will replicate what he's done earlier in the day. And he begins to minister to those people closest to the door. And it says the whole city's there, big crowd there. He begins ministering to the people closest to the door. Can you imagine what that must have been like, what it must have looked like? Did you see that? He just healed that woman. Did you see that that demon? It just came out of the boy just because he told it to. And and that starts to spread. And and before long, the people toward the back, they realize he's healing everybody. He's not turning anybody away. He's going to heal me. And they're, they're, they're no longer standing there praying, oh, Yahweh, please let him get to me. Please let him heal me. But they're, they're seeing he's going to heal me. I see that he is, he, he, he's healing everyone. And oh, oh, the relief that they must have felt to have learned that not only is he able to help us, but he will help us. Jesus is not just power, but he is compassionate power. Is Jesus displayed an eagerness to serve, an eagerness to serve. And when people realize that Jesus is, is willing, he's eager to serve, he becomes that much more magnetic. The, the word spreads that much faster. C- come and see this one who has 
power over all the things that oppress us, and He wants to help us. Of course, He's setting us up, Mark is setting us up for chapter 2, where we're going to find that Jesus has power over that ultimate oppressor, which is sin. Jesus even has power and authority to forgive sin. I'm sure you noticed that, that Jesus did not allow the demons to speak about Him, and that underscores again Jesus' unbelievable authority. These demons couldn't speak about Jesus, couldn't tell people who He was, because Jesus didn't let them. He didn't let them. Unbelievable. Now, what we want to know, though, is why. Why wouldn't Jesus want Him to do that? Well, the text says because they knew who He was, but, but why doesn't Jesus want, to know, want people to know who He is? Well, some have called this the messianic secret. Jesus is not going to give this command only to demons, but rather he's, he's, going to, he's going to say to all kinds of people that He ministers to, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody who I am. Now, some would say that that's because an awareness of Jesus' identity as the Messiah would lead to a confrontation with the Jews and Romans prematurely. Others would say that if people know that He is the Messiah, then they're going to try to make Him a, an, an earthly king. And there is support for both of those ideas in the other Gospels. Mark doesn't really tell us. He doesn't tell us why Jesus wants to keep this quiet. All we know is that this practice of Jesus telling people, hey, look, you can't tell anybody about this, that lasts until the Passion Week in Jerusalem. It's in Jerusalem that Jesus begins to be completely open about who He is. Now, what we need to understand, those of us here who are on this side of the cross, is that that admonition to be quiet about who Jesus is, that's a thing of the past, right? We're commanded to be very open about who Jesus is and what He's done. So as we're thinking about, again, what it is about Jesus that makes Him so magnetic and attractive to souls, what is that? Well, here in these verses, we've seen it's His compassionate power. His compassionate power. So if we follow Him, what will it be in our lives that also attracts people to Him? I want to give you two things. There, There could be many others, but I want to give you two. The first is an open, ongoing story of His power in us. An open, ongoing story of His power in us. The story is something that you tell, right? This is something that we're talking about. We'll we'll have an open story that we're telling people about what Jesus has done for us. I I think of Paul in the book of Acts. It seemed like the guy just couldn't help but tell everybody that he came into contact with, hey, I was on the road to Damascus, and this blinding light came, and Jesus arrested me and made me His. He he, he couldn't go anywhere without telling people what Jesus had done to and in and for Him. And we're going to find in the Gospel of Mark that even though Jesus is telling people, hey, be quiet about me, they can't. They, They just tell everybody, you won't believe what Jesus did for me. I wonder how many of us have had a you won't believe what Jesus did for me conversation this week. How many of us have had that kind of a conversation this week? I was this. I was this. But Jesus set His love on me 
and He drew me to Himself. He forgave me when I didn't think that was even possible. He forgives me still, and He's patiently changing me and blessing me in manifold ways. If you come to Him, He'll do the same for you. Jesus is eager to save and serve. That open, ongoing story of His power is both verbal and visual. We're not, we're not just telling people about it. We are telling people about it. They're seeing, seeing it in our lives as well. So people are hearing us talk about it. They see it taking place in our lives. And, and as we're being as explicit as possible with the gospel itself, then they're understanding that, that Jesus, Jesus frees sinners from death and brings them to God. So if I, if I follow Him, what in my life is going to be magnetic, drawing people to, to, to Him? Well, it's going to be an ongoing, open story of His power in my life. Second, though, it's going to be an obvious dependence upon Him in all situations. It's going to be an obvious dependence upon Him in all situations. In other words, when, when we have troubles... We won't be looking to the self-help books, to the secular counselors. We won't run to worldly amusements or workaholism, ungodly relationships. We won't look to those false refuges, but rather we'll run to Jesus because we, we have seen and experienced and still believe that He is compassionately powerful. And so when we're sick, we'll go to Him. And we'll pray to Him. And if He heals us, we'll give all glory to Him. And if He doesn't, we'll continue to pray for it. And we'll trust Him for the strength in the meantime. When we're downcast, when we're downcast, we'll look upon Him in the sanctuary, beholding His glory and power, and our hearts will be uplifted. And when we're glad, we will turn to Him and rightly attribute all the good things in our lives to His gracious hand. When we have a need, no matter what it is, we will pray expectantly and and persistently, trusting that He is compassionately powerful. Trusting that whether He gives what we ask immediately or not, He is always giving us something good, including the ability to patiently wait for His timing. By doing this in front of others, we're putting our money where our mouth is, so to speak. In other words, we're not just proclaiming to people, hey, Jesus is, is compassionately powerful. He saves, He sanctifies, he, he glorifies and blesses those who come to Him, but we're demonstrating with our lives. We actually trust Him to do this. We're obviously trusting Him to do this ourselves. We look to Him for everything. And so then His power is obviously at work in us, our dependence is obviously upon Him. That's going to make Him more magnetic to others around us. So Jesus' power, His, his power was magnetic in Galilee. Is His power obvious and magnetic in us? Finally, we see that Jesus has a magnetic mission. A magnetic mission. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
on a typical day, not an extraordinary day, just a typical day. This is just an example of a day in the life of Jesus. On a typical day, Jesus rose early, early, while it's still dark to get alone to pray. Now, why would he do that? When we get to Mark 9, we're going to get a clue. We'll get a clue from Mark 9 that at least part of what Jesus is doing as he's praying early in the morning is that he's praying for the efficacy of his ministry for that day. So among other things, Jesus likely was praying in those early morning hours that the Father would grant him effectual ministry of the Word, effectual healing of ministry, effectual exorcism of evil spirits. He's praying for the success of his mission. Now, that, that, should, that should encourage us on a couple of accounts. First of all, we should pray for the, the efficacy of the things that God has called us to do. The, we should pray for the success of the mission that He's given us. Secondly, we should be encouraged by the heart of Jesus. Because the Jesus in this text, praying that He might be a benefit to others, that same Jesus with the same heart is, is at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us at this very moment. What Mark really wants to emphasize here is that Jesus was so magnetic that he couldn't even get away to pray without being followed. That's, that's the point of mentioning this. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. Jesus had created such a stir in one day that even early in the morning they're, they're looking for him. Well, it's still dark. It's it's no wonder that later in his ministry, Jesus has to stay up all night in order to pray. He's got to sleep in boats as he's crossing the Sea of Galilee. Verse 34, and he, Jesus, said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. But that's why I came out. the, The word for preach in verse 38 is the same Greek word that's, that's translated proclaiming back in verse 14 where we're told that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. So we have that word in verse 14. We have it in verse, in verse 38. And those are like bookends. And what Mark is communicating is that everything in between is Jesus proclaiming the coming of the kingdom. So for Mark, Jesus' teaching and His healing... In his casting out demons, those are all part of his proclaiming the good news. And so Jesus isn't saying here, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done healing and casting out demons, but rather he's saying, what I've done here in Capernaum, I'm going to move on and do in these other towns. I didn't, I didn't come to set up shop in Capernaum. He, sa- he says, I'm going I'm to go on to these other towns that I may do what I've done here in these other places. I'm going to do it there also. That's why I came out. I came out to proclaim the kingdom far and wide. And so he did. Verse 39 tells us, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so we see here, not only then, you know, that first part of the passage, we see people being drawn to Jesus. He's magnetic in that they they come to him. Well, now we see that Jesus also, he is drawn to people. He's drawn to them. You know, that, that, that's, that's what a magnet is like. A magnet, by virtue of its own inherent properties, it is attracted to metal. Metal's attracted to it, it's attracted to metal. And so that's what we see 
in Jesus with His mission. He's drawn to the mission. This is what He came to do. It's why He gets up early in the morning to pray. It's why He moves from one place to the next to help more and more people, to rescue more and more souls. His own heart pulls Him toward that mission. Now, if we follow Him, what will our lives look like in that regard? His mission will be magnetic to us too. His mission will be magnetic to us too. That is, we will be drawn to His work. We'll be drawn to His work. I have no natural interest in the study of economics. I took two required economics classes in college. The professor, the same professor for both classes, he was coming off of a nervous breakdown. After those two classes, I thought, a nervous breakdown is just what happens when you study economics. And to this day, if, if I'm given a choice between reading an economics book or spending a night in jail, I'll read the economics book because I'm not an idiot, but I'll feel like I'm in jail because I've, I've, I've just no interest in, in economics. And some of us have that conception of, of Jesus' heart toward His mission. He, he, is toward, he is toward sinners like I am toward economics. I, I've, got, I've got no use for this. That he, he'd, he'd rather be doing almost anything but helping sinners. The, the Father requires Him to do it, though. It's a required course, so to speak. And so He does it, but He holds His nose the whole time. This is like the last thing He really wants to be doing. Many of you know one of our members, Michael Jones. Michael Jones is an economics professor. He gets excited about economics. He, he smiles when he talks about it. He, he uses words like fascinating and exciting about economics. It's really, it's really something. He, he, he views all of this stuff not just as a theory, but when he looks at life, he sees economics. He enjoys researching and writing about it. He loves it. Now, that is more like the heart of Christ for, for his mission. He loves to do what He does. He came to meet needs. He came to help the helpless. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. His heart is drawn to His work because He loves His work. Just like a magnet drawn to metal, so Jesus is drawn to rescuing souls. The question for us this morning is, is are we drawn to that mission? Are you drawn to that mission? Are you like a magnet drawn to metal when it comes to the lost? When it comes to that younger believer who needs somebody to come alongside him and disciple them to maturity. When it comes to that hurting believer in this body who needs somebody to comfort them. Are you drawn to that like a magnet? Maybe not. Maybe you're realizing right now you're just completely honest with yourself and and the Lord. I'm not like that. What do you do if you're not like that? I had occasion to spend some time with Michael Jones this week. As I mentioned, I, I, I don't naturally gravitate toward economics. But when I'm with him, I love asking economics questions because I like watching him love economics. It is entertaining. And I, I told him this week, I don't care at all about economics unless you're talking about it. I mean, it is bizarre. I find myself getting excited about economics 
when I'm in His presence and He's talking about it, and I'm dead serious about this, I could listen to Michael Jones talk about economics for hours. His love for that subject and how he makes it real, it's infectious. It's infectious. He's like, a, he's like an economics magnet. And when I'm in his, pregnancy, his presence, he, he magnetizes me. But then, when, when I'm away from him, economics to me very quickly becomes, nah, I don't know. So, how, how, how do I gain the attraction that Christ has for his mission? It's very similar. I, I need to be close to him. And I, I need to allow his magnetism, his love for the mission, his love for people to magnetize me. Now, just practically speaking, what might that look like? Well, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this book of Mark and I'm going to meditate on, on Jesus' compassion for sinners. It's throughout the whole book. Meditate on that. And, and I'm going to rehearse his many acts of, of compassion for me. And, and what begins to happen there is something very similar to when I spend time with, with Michael Jones. The closer that I am to Jesus, the more time that I spend gazing at his heart for the lost, his heart for the believing, well, then I get more excited about what he's excited about. I become magnetized. The opposite is true as well. The, the, the more that I, I pull away from Jesus, even just in terms of spending time with him, not, not, not even pulling away from him in, in terms of, of dabbling in sinful pursuits, but just not, not really gazing at him, not meditating on his heart. I pull away from him, well, then his mission, eh, I could take it or leave it. The authority and power of the kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ was magnetic. It, it drew people to him. And it is among the things, they are among the things that drew us to him. His authority and his power have benefited us. It is a pleasure to obey Jesus as, ma- as master. It is a pleasure to know his saving, sanctifying, blessing, and glorifying power in our lives. And so let, let, let's follow this Jesus as Peter and Andrew and James and John. Found. Let's follow him in his mission in that his authority over us is obvious. And his authority over us is an obvious delight to us. So let, let, let's follow him like they have in that his compassionate power is evident in our open and ongoing story that we're telling people all the time, that His power is evident in us and our obvious dependence upon Him. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying close to Jesus. I look to Him for everything. Why? Because I believe that He is compassionately powerful. Let's follow Him in that we cling to Him knowing that we must be close to Him in order to stay magnetized to His mission so that we're drawn to hurting people. And they're drawn to Him through us. Oh, that, that, we may be, that we may be drawn to the person of Jesus. That others may be drawn to Him through us. 
Lord Jesus is absolutely magnetic in Galilee. May we be magnetic as well. Let's pray. Father, what a rich gift you have given us in granting us such an authoritative and powerful and compassionate Savior. We ask, Father, that you would grant us this morning to be utterly arrested by him. That just as when we were converted, we, we found him magnetic, that we were we we felt our own acute need for Him as sinners separated from You. You granted us to feel that need. You, you drew us to Him inexorably. We were saved, Father, by Him. We, we pray, Lord, that, that even now we would, be, we would be drawn to Him again and again and again. That we would even still find Him to be utterly magnetic, and Lord, grant us to, to truly follow Jesus in that His authority and His power are evident in our lives so that, that we might also be magnetic for His kingdom. We ask, Father, that as, as we remain close to Him, as we remain close to Him, that we would be magnetized by His loving, compassionate, powerful, authoritative heart, that, that we too would be drawn to His mission to rescue souls and to see souls come to maturity in him that we would be drawn to that mission and father that others would be drawn to him through us we thank you father for the gift of salvation we thank you for the gift of being used by your son pray that you would equip us for this work we ask these things in his name